0: My mom was very big on home remedies. That is, growing up, there were all kinds of home remedies that my mom experimented with on my brother and I. Uh, For example, you've probably heard of some of these in Florida, where we would often get sunburned early in the summer. She would put aloe on our sunburn. If we had a cough, she would give us honey. If we uh, had a sore throat, she would have us gargle in salt water. Uh, Some of these home remedies worked better than others, but uh, often they weren't actually a cure. This past week, I looked up on the internet, what are some home remedies for anxiety? That is, our world right now is inundated and saturated and struggling with worry and anxiety. Some of the advice that was given, get a good night's sleep. Well, I'm not exactly sure how you get a good night's sleep when your world is filled with anxiety and worry. Chew gum. I guess chewing gum maybe helps you take out the frustration, but I don't know if it actually helps solve worry and anxiety. Uh, burn incense candles. And so while I, I like candles, I've never found a candle that's actually been able to help cure my cure my anxiety. Well, What the world offers may be a temporary cure. It may last for five minutes or ten minutes or maybe even for a few hours. Uh, But those of us who know what it's like to worry and be concerned and to have anxiety, particularly where we are right now, that is every day the news reports seem more and more bleak. Every day we begin to miss loved ones and friends and and the congregational gatherings that we enjoy here on Sundays and Wednesdays with more and more intensity. Well, what I want to talk with you about this morning is a divine remedy for an anxious soul. A divine remedy for anxiety and worry that may be crippling you or paralyzing your spiritual life. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is part of a group of psalms known as the Hallel Psalms. Hallel is a word that's related to the the Hebrew word for praise. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are psalms that were sung and recited at great Jewish festivals, particularly... At Passover. It wouldn't be surprising to me if, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, after they had celebrated the Passover meal in the upper room, and maybe before they made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, or even on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang. In fact, it says that they sang a hymn. One of the hymns that they would have sung, and maybe only a part of it, but it would have been a part of their repertoire a part of their history, a part of their practice, would have been Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is a psalm that was, that was written for a people in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of, an, of anxiety. I want you to notice with me in Psalm 116 the, the first two verses. In these opening two verses, the psalmist declares his love for the Lord And he expresses why he loves the Lord the way that he does. He says, I love the Lord because, circle that word because, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because, circle it again, he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. I want you to notice a couple of things, a couple of statements of belief and faith that this individual has. He loves the Lord because the Lord hears his prayers. He loves the Lord because the Lord hears his voice. So often we might think that our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and and they're just reverberating back to us. But the reality is the Bible says if we are children of God, he hears our prayers But I want you to notice in verse 2, he says, because he has inclined his ear. That's an interesting word, that word inclined. It's used in 1 Kings to describe how Solomon's foreign wives turned his heart toward idolatry. As he listened to his wives, his heart was turned away from the Lord and turned toward idolatry. Idolatry. Now that word, inclined in this particular context, carries this idea: God is busy at work keeping the universe and the orbits in motion. God is at work giving us breath and life. God is at work caring and 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 watching over all of His people. Uh, but it's think of the picture in this way: as God is at work doing, always doing, He hears a voice. It's the voice of an elderly saint all alone, isolated at home because of the COVID-19 virus. And he stops and his ear is turned toward that voice. That's the way God responds to all of us. We might wonder, I don't know if God can hear my my voice. I don't know if God is listening to my prayers. In fact, I'm I'm in such anxiety and worry and concerned. I'm in such turmoil right now. I don't even know what to pray. Well, the spirit within us, Paul says, prays for us. I know my wife, when our children were quite young, had an ear that you would not believe. Now, we could be in the other end of the house and, uh, and watching TV or listening to music or just sitting and talking, and she'll say, did you hear that? No, I didn't hear anything. I think that was Lydia crying. I think that was, that was John calling out. I think that was Paul whimpering in his crib. That if she had a heart for her children, she had a love for her children, and she had an ear inclined toward her children. And so the psalmist confesses in these opening verses, he loves the Lord because the Lord's ear is inclined toward him. Now, I want you to notice in verse 3, he describes his situation. Uh, He's not living on the mountaintop. Of spiritual experience. He's in a very dark place. He's in a very arduous season. He's in a very hard time in his life. And so he says in verse 3, the cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow." In fact, jump down to verse 8 with me because this gives us the context in which this psalm was written. Psalm 3, verse 3 and verse 8. Verse 8 says, For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. So there he is. He is crying. He has been stumbling and his soul has wanted to die. There's the circumstances in which this psalm was written, And so he begins by affirming his love for the Lord. And then again in verse 3, just listen again as I read it. The cords of death encompassed me. The terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. What did he do? What did he do? Did he light an aromatherapy candle? Uh, did he pa- get a pack of gum and start chewing it very, very... Uh, Uh, harsh and hardly. No, it says, Then, then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. We don't know what the exact danger was that he was experiencing. We don't know how his life was endangered. We know that his soul was in anguish. We know that that his pillow was wet by a flood of tears, Uh, but he turns to the Lord. He prays to God. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to turn to God. Our children need to hear us pray genuine, authentic, heartfelt prayers. We need to pray genuine, authentic, heartfelt prayers prayers and it's good to pray them out loud because when we speak to God out loud, we're also speaking to our own hearts. Our ears are like a like a highway to the heart. And so he begins with prayer but then he be, then he moves to confessing who he believes God to be among the people. He confesses his trust, his faith, his belief, In who God really is among the nations. So, notice what he says to others about God. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the temple. I was brought low and he saved me. And so, those who hear our confessions might be ministered to by those confessions. Those of us who may be in a good place right now spiritually might be able to speak a word to those who are in a difficult place right now spiritually. Because there's going to come a time where all of us at different times and in different seasons will be in difficult places spiritually. We will feel like the cords of death have encompassed us. And in times like that, we need brothers and sisters to speak truth to us, to remind us of who God really is. And those words are like grace. They're like aloe applied to a sunburn. They're a spiritual aloe applied to a a parched heart. And so the Lord preserves the temple. The temple are His people. Uh, This building is a building, as I've said. Uh, The temple of God is the people of God, and we congregationally and corporately are a temple, but we individually are also a temple. Congregationally, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and individually, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are the temple of our Lord Jesus Christ. So at this point, he begins to speak to himself. He needs to remind himself of what he knows about God. So he says to himself, sometimes it's good to speak to ourselves. Sometimes I'll be in my study and I'll hear, I'll hear Jay Lynn and, and I'll say, honey, are you calling me? And she'll say, no, I'm just speaking to myself. And sometimes she's praying and sometimes I think she's frustrated with me, but sometimes she's speaking to herself. Sometimes it's good, it's really good to recite truth to ourselves, because when we say it, we hear it, and the hearing is a highway to the heart. So he says to himself, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you, for you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Notice in verse 7, it's my soul. Notice in verse 8, it's my soul, my feet, my eyes. He's speaking to himself. He's recounting the goodness of God to himself. So he says in verse 9, I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. So notice he's speaking to himself. He's analyzing his situation. He says, I said, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Our emotions are liars. Our emotions will try to convince us what is true when in reality what's true is what God says. If our emotions go against God's word, our emotions are lying to us. We need to say to our emotions… When our emotions say to us, I'm abandoned, I'm desolate, I'm forgotten, we need to say, no, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is with his people. Lo, he is with us to the very end of the age. We need to speak to ourselves what the Bible says is true. We can acknowledge I'm greatly afflicted, but then we need to say, my soul, he has rescued my pillow was flooded with tears. My feet were stumbling. But the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. Return to your rest, O my soul. And so in 7 through 11, he makes confessions to himself. Now in verses 12 through 19, he, he, he makes some commitments. Commitments. These are some things that he's going to do as an expression of his gratitude to God. Because of what God has done for him, because of who God is to him, because of the salvation that is his and the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, these are some definitive action steps that the psalmist made. So the psalmist says, what shall I render to the Lord? What shall I do for him? What can I give him for all his benefits toward me? And light of all he's done for me and all of the expressions of goodness and kindness and mercy and grace, what can I do for him? You see, what what he's doing is he's taking his eyes off of himself and he has turned his eyes where where his eyes need to be to God. As he declared who God was for those who could hear, and as he would declare who God is and what God has done for him, and he has spoken to himself, now he wants to say in verse 13, In light of all that God has done for me, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Notice, I shall. Verse 14, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. We're praying to God that in the near future we'll all be able to gather together again in this special building. The building isn't the temple, but it's a special building because it's where we gather together. And and we're all praying that it won't be long, that it'll be soon, that we'll all be able to be here together again. He says in verse 13, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. That as God's eye is on us, his eye is on us now and his eye will be on us the moment that we die. And the moment that we die, we will open our eyes and look into his beautiful face. He says in verse 16, O Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my hands. And so he's he's telling God again, he's just affirming, in light of what you've done for me, this is what I want to do for you as a sign of devotion and love. Let me just look at one of these that I've read. Look back in verse 13 with me. Back in 13, he says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation. Uh, My mom loved Coca Cola in the bottles. And so every Christmas, she was well situated when we would visit with a lot of bottles of Coca Cola, the glass bottles of Coca Cola. And so it was a tradition when we had dinner with my mom at Christmas time, everybody had a bottle of Coca-Cola, and then all of the kids could have as many as they wanted. And so now, as a, just a, a fond memory on Christmas Day when we eat at our house, we're all sitting at the Christmas table with a bottle of Coca-Cola. It's the only day of the year that I drink Coca-Cola. And at the beginning of the meal, after we've prayed a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude to God for all of his many blessings toward us, we often take those bottles and, some, and we'll click, click them like a, like a toast to the person next to us. And, and Jaylen will say something like, in memory, that's in memory of Grandma Cook. Uh, what he's saying here, when we, when we lift up the cup of salvation, we're saying, blessed be the name of the Lord that although I was dead in trespasses and sin, he brought me to life in Christ Jesus. I was a slave to to sin, the flesh, and the devil, but he redeemed me and set me free. Praise be to God that while I was a condemned sinner, he rescued me and he indwells me with his Holy Spirit. And so we lift up the cup of salvation, acknowledging what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Well, he goes on to say in verse 17, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. There it is again. There's something special about gathering together with the people of God. While we are all in different places right now, there's something uniquely beautiful and graciously glorious, that as Craig and Ellen were leading us in worship, literally scattered throughout this city and in, and in other countries, we were all singing the same songs. When Gabe, when Gabe and Blake were praying, we were all engaged in the same prayer. We're all listening to the same psalm. There's something beautiful and glorious about being a part of the people of God and about being a a specific part of a local congregation in the presence of all the people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I want you to go back and look at verse 17 again. In verse 17, he says, To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, that's an odd phrase, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. When we think of a sacrifice, we think of, of, of doing something that cost us something. Well, think about it for just a moment right now. There's not a lot to be thankful for if we watch, when we watch the news. There's not a lot to be thankful for when we think about what's going on in our world. A sacrifice of thanksgiving is saying, despite all that's taking place, and those things are real and painful and hurtful and disappointing, and we don't, we don't refuse to acknowledge the reality of them. But to offer up thanksgiving is to say, despite all of this, despite all this going on, Blessed be the name of the Lord for the salvation that is mine in Christ Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord that I'm a part of a church that loves me and a church where I can serve His people. Blessed be the name of the Lord, that although the world is shut down, the Spirit of the living God is not shut down. Although there is social distancing going on, the Holy Spirit is up close and personal and working in the lives of the unregenerate and strengthening the hearts of the people of God. A sacrifice of praise is praising and thanking God for what God has done, for who God is, despite my emotions, despite how I feel, because I don't feel like praising, I don't feel like thanking God, uh, but it is a part of the divine remedy for a troubled soul. Well, let me conclude very quickly with just a a few final thoughts. In light of all that we've read, how can we tie it all together? The first thing is this, difficulties come to all of God's people. What we are experiencing, the people of God are experiencing throughout the world. We're not alone. It's not just us. We're a part of a suffering world. And so we need to be reminded that the difficulties that we're experiencing have come upon all people. And, and this is true whether it's COVID-19, the death of a loved one, or, or any other particular issue. Uh, the second thing that I would say is this. We can never learn what it means to be delivered from anxiety and sorrow by the Spirit of the living God if we never experience anxiety and sorrow. It is the only way to be able to share in the reality of it is to experience it and then to experience God calming our fears and our, and our anxious hearts. So much of what we need to learn in the Christian life is learned only through difficult circumstances and situations. That brings me to the third thought. Don't waste this time. Discover what God's wanting to do in you, what God's wanting to do through you, how God's wanting to change you and mature you and develop you and strengthen you so that you come out of this pandemic a better person in Christ Jesus. Not just a better person, but a better person in Christ Jesus, stronger, more resilient. A greater, a greater sense of fortitude, a greater trust in Christ. And then the last thing that I would say is that we need to be conscious of many of the things we're experiencing, brothers and sisters around the world experience on a daily basis. And they live in countries that are closed to the gospel, and, and they are shut down and separated from other believers. We've got brothers and sisters in third-world countries who love Jesus just as much as we do, and every single day they have barely enough food to eat. Every day they suffer with sickness and death. And so what we're experiencing is new to us, but it's not new to them. So let's, let's not turn to... Uh, the internet. Let's not go to home remedies. Let's not buy a pack of gum and try to just get a good night's sleep and stay active. All those things may be helpful and good, and there's nothing, nothing wrong with any of them. Let's find in the Word of God a divine remedy for a troubled soul. Would you join me in prayer? And, and then after I finish praying, we've got a song to sing and a benediction to enjoy. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so very much that your word, it's a word from you. This written word is a word that you have spoken. It's a word that was penned. It was a word that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's a psalm that… Our Lord very likely sang at least a part of it on the night that he was betrayed, the darkest night of all, the darkest night in human history, when the Son of Man was betrayed into the hands of sinners and abandoned by all of his disciples. He had sung this psalm, recounted it. And Father, the the suffering that we're experiencing is real, the anxiety is real, the worries and concerns are real. Help us not to waste them, but we pray in Jesus' name, use them for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.